we have set aside in redemptive history because of the work that you accomplished on our behalf. Lord, we thank you that uh, this Lord Day, this special Lord's Day, uh, this Christian Super Bowl of sorts, uh, this Resurrection Sunday, this Easter Sunday, that we get to rejoice and, and celebrate your resurrection in a special day, in a special way. Lord, we realize as your as your people that if you are able to raise yourself from the dead, there is nothing that is too hard for you. And so, God, Lord Jesus, we we put our hope and our faith and our trust in the God who gives resurrection life, the God who is resurrection life. So, Lord, we pray that you, by the power of your spirit, would center our hearts and our minds on the finished work at Calvary and on uh, the resurrection. Lord, be with us today. Spirit, move in a, in a special way. Uh, begin to work in the hearts and minds of your people uh, to draw them to faith and repentance. I pray today that uh, we would all be granted faith and repentance in the areas of our in every area of our life that doesn't look like you lord and for those who have not yet believed i I pray that you would begin the the process of regeneration and conversion in their hearts by the truth of the gospel that we that will be proclaimed today god we give you praise and glory and honor for bringing us here today it is in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit that i do pray Good morning. Happy Resurrection Sunday to you all in the room and our friends and family at home or wherever you may be. If you would please stand for our call to worship. It is um, taken from the hymn, Praise Him, Praise Him. If you would please join with me where it um, notes congregation as well as together. Praise him, praise him, Jesus, our blessed Redeemer. Sing, O earth, his wonderful love proclaim. Hail him, hail him, highest archangels in glory. Strength and honor give to his holy name. Like a shepherd, Jesus will guard his children. In his arms, he carries them all day long. Praise him, praise him. Tell of his excellent greatness. Praise him, praise him, ever in joyful song. Amen. If you would, please bow for a word of prayer. Father, we, we are here this morning to give you praise, to give you glory, to give you honor, to acknowledge your position as a sovereign.
sovereign, most high God. To acknowledge our position as created beings, made in your image, but sinners in need of a savior. Lord, praise be to you, God of our Father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks. Now, our God, we give you thanks. Now, our God, we give you thanks. And we praise your glorious name. King of kings, Lord of lords, the great I am, our light and our salvation, our hiding place, our refuge, our banner, our battle axe the one who loved us first, the great I am, the good shepherd. You are all of that and then some, and we don't have enough words to describe how awesome and magnificent and gracious and kind and faithful and true you are. But with a little bit of of the few little words, a little bit of vocabulary that we have, we say, thank you, Lord. We say, praise you, Lord. Bless your holy name. We love you. We praise you. We glorify you. You are worthy of all the glory, all the honor, all the praise. Thank you for loving broken people like us. Thank you for not casting us aside. Thank you for making a way out of no way. through the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. Thank you for being willing to die for us so that we could could be at peace with the Father. Thank you, Lord. God, thank you for sending your spirit to dwell in us richly so that we will be reminded of how much you love us, so we can be reminded that we are never alone. You are our strength. You are our light, our salvation. You are our guide. And we just say thank you. So we come this morning with our stuff, whatever that stuff is. And we're going to give you that, Lord. We just ask you to speak to us today through your spirit. And give us attitudes and hearts and minds to rejoice over your goodness and the good things that you continue to do. Again, we love you, we praise you, we glorify you. It's in the matchless name of our sovereign Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. If you would, please be seated.
There's a saying that uh, that uh, says that confession is good for the soul. And uh, this brings us to a moment uh, uh, as the people of God that um, we can confess our faith uh, together as the people of God. And so our confession of faith today comes from the Heidelberg Catechism. I'll read the emboldened uh, part and then we'll read the uh, regular font all together. Question 12 says, Since then... By the righteous judgment of God, we deserve temporal and eternal punishment. How may we escape this punishment and be again received into favor? And question 15. What kind of mediator and redeemer then must we seek? All together. One who is a true and righteous man, and yet more powerful than all creatures. That is, one who knows only true God. Amen. The text on which our sermon today is based is, excuse me, is uh, Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 uh, through 50. This is the word of the Lord. Please listen carefully. Either make the tree good and its fruit bad, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, Something greater than Solomon is here. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also it will be with this evil generation. 
While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. The word of the Lord. Uh, this is a uh, moment in the service uh, where uh, we, uh, as the Village Church, have developed a regular rhythm of what we call resurrection stories. And I know it's not in your bulletin, uh, but it's supposed to be in there. Uh, but our resurrection stories are stories in the lives of the people in our congregation about how the Lord is working resurrection life uh, in, in their lives. Uh, and so today we're going to hear from one of our brothers, uh, Chris Dawson, about how the Lord is working resurrection life in his life. So, uh, Chris. What's going on, everybody? Good morning to y'all. Everybody looking almost as good as me. You know, it's all good. Um, you know, uh, just on my little timer here. I don't want to get in trouble, you know. Um, <laughs> you know, I've, uh, coming here to the Village Church, I've learned, um, much more about what it means to be a believer and, uh, being a part of the body of Christ, right? Um, learn from Alex so much about, uh, one of the things he likes to say is, uh, you know, we all got issues, right? And if you don't think you got issues, that's an issue, you know. Some of us have subscriptions, but that's okay, right? You know, Jesus, Jesus will, Jesus will, um, he'll, uh, <laughs> he still loves us, right? Um, oh, over here, okay, my bad, okay, all right, cool. All right, so um, one of the things that um, Alex often likes to say is, um, you know, keep keep short accounts with people. Um, because what I'm going to talk about, uh, the whole arc of this is about forgiveness, right, and how vitally important it is um, for our, I would say for our mental health as well as even more so our spiritual health, right? Um, I also saw a good quote on um, Facebook. Somebody shared it. It was, um, forgiveness is not about keeping score. It's about losing count, right? Not even trying to tally up who's done what against who and trying to get back at somebody. You know what I'm saying? So um, for those of you who don't know me, um, I am divorced. Uh, I've been divorced about three years or so. Um, and at the time, I mean, like going through something like that, that's something I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy because the emotional turmoil that you go through is unbearable. Um, I mean, it's just... It, it really, really puts you in a dark place. And I was certainly there uh, about three years ago, um, going through the midst of it, even, you know, while it was, while my marriage was uh, dissolving. Um, the, uh, it does have a good ending, I would say. Um, you know, going through something like that, it really, because um, um, one of the, one, another thing that Alex likes to say in, uh, in his prayers is, you know, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief, right? Because, you know, we're taught, we learn things about what the Bible says, the truth. I, I would say part of the central battle that we have as Christians is do we actually believe that the Bible is true, right? Especially when we're facing trials, uh, job laws, divorce, or anything of that nature. Do I really believe what the Bible says, or was I just saying that because I felt good at the moment, right? Um, and, you know, uh, James talks about brothers counted all joy um, when, when, you're, when you're tested. Um, so uh, my divorce, like I said, it ended... It was finalized uh, about three or so years ago. Um, and 
you know, the nature of my relationship with my ex-wife, Tabitha was her name, uh, was pretty toxic, right? Uh, couldn't even really have a conversation on the phone, you know what I'm saying? Uh, it, it, it just got in that bad, right? Um, and, uh, okay, here's what's funny. Um, so, you know, at the time, you know, I had stepped step down from Deacon Board, things of nature. You know, it was part of church submission, you know, leadership, submit to the elders. I, I did that, I did that. So one of the things he told me to do, he said, um, you know, it was a recommendation, not a requirement. You need to reestablish, uh, you know, a civil relationship with your ex-wife. Now, at the time, my thinking was, you know, if I ain't got to, I ain't going to. <laughs> That's just where I was, you know. Looking back at it now, I, I really see how immature, <sighs> you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. No pun intended, okay. Um, you uh, Looking back on how my mindset was, it was very immature, right, to think that way. So, um, you know, being a part of going through counseling, uh, staying in touch with Alex, uh, Richard, other brothers in the church, um, again, you know, learning uh, the, the, the necessity of being a part of the body, right, not not kind of fading away, if you will. Um, you know, I got on, got on to a personal growth journey. Um, uh, one of the books I read was um, uh, Your Best Year Ever by Michael Hyatt. And one of the things he talked about in that book was, um, you know, using the uh, regrets and mistakes of your past as rudders, if you will, to guide your future. And um, honestly, I, I, I didn't really see myself, you know, if you would if you would have, you know, said, Chris, you're probably going to, have a very your wife probably gonna call you in three years and ask you, you know, how how she could have made things better. Like, no, no, she ain't. That ain't gonna happen. Um, but um, you know, my first step, I, uh, you know, I, I gave her, I gave her and her mom a call and just kind of, you know, let them know that, you know, I, I, uh, I had forgiven, given her, you know, I wasn't holding any regrets against her, right? Um, and that that was, you know, she didn't believe me at the time, which I kind of expected, you know, that, that kind of makes sense, you know. I, because uh, with how things went, you know, she didn't really believe me. That's fine. Um, it wasn't until a year later, a year later, that I could receive the call from her. Hey, you know, um, Chris, I want to apologize for my part in it. And that that was most unexpected. I think I was traveling somewhere, and I I, I deleted her number. <laughs> um, I, I just I just I didn't want to hear from her in any fashion, right? That's just where I was. But uh, I recognized the number. You know, we talked for a few minutes, and um, you know, got an apology from her. Um, and that that was good to hear, right? So um, fast forward, maybe another, uh, well, no, this was about mm, three, maybe three months ago, um, I received another message from her, uh, and we had kind of been in communication, uh-oh, my time's up, my bad, Alex, um, <laughs> I had um, received a message from her, like I said, we'd been in kind of communication, you know, happy birthday, Merry Christmas, that kind of thing, right, just very cordial, um, but I received a message from her, you know, hey, how you doing, what's going on? Um, we set up a phone call and, um, she, you know, she asked me, she said, Hey, Chris, you know, what could I have done to make things better? And for me, one of the things that I've been praying for was that, you know, she would continue to grow in the faith, continue to grow as a woman of God, right? Continue to grow, uh, that should be made whole, right? Because like I said, when you go through it, when you have issues, um, without resolving them, you just kind of perpetuate what created those issues, right? So, um, you know, upon receiving a phone call, I was, I told her that, I, you know, I was very impressed because, um, I hadn't foreseen her asking me this question, right? Um, you know, like I said, takes two to tango, right? But um, um, I hadn't really imagined having that conversation with her. So we talked for maybe 30 minutes or so. Um, you know, she was very open, listened, um, and, um, you know, we had a good back and forth about um, just where, you know, she could go from here. You know, I recommended some things for her. I recommended she call Alex to ask for uh, therapist counseling because um, it's necessary, Um when uh, dealing with the issues that we have here on this planet, you know, I really, 
you know, part of us, uh, the, the part of the, uh, what's the already but not yet, looking forward to glory is not having to deal with, uh, I heard somebody say the other day, having, having the ability not to sin, you know, when we get to heaven, you know, not even um, being, I guess, press, pressured with the issues and things of our past, um, it, you know. It's, it's part of how we have to deal, live here on the earth, but one day we want to deal with no more, right? So, um, you know, for me, um, when I look back just how things went down, it's just amazing that, um, like I said, I even had that sort of conversation with her. And I say that because, um, again, had I been one to hold on to the pains, hold on to the hurts, um, I, 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 yeah, I don't know where that would have gone, you know what I'm saying? But, me having the chance to offer her some sort of direction to at least influence her in a positive direction, that uh, that probably wouldn't have happened. So, and I think part of our duty as Christian brothers and sisters is to help push or nudge, I would say, our fellow uh, brother or sister into um, more unto Christ, I would say. So, um, you know, another part of that, you know, having gone through that, you know, like, Lord, will I, will I find someone again? Because, you know, I want to be married and things of this nature. But, uh, like I said, it has a happy ending, all right? I'm, I'm going to tell you how we met, all right? Um, so, uh, <laughs> I got a good reason, man, you know what I'm saying? So, um, so my girlfriend, uh, Reagan Ballinger, here in the pink. Um, okay, so, fellas, I know y'all can relate to this, you know, you you initiate your talk, and then you get a message to say, you know, I only like you as a friend. That, uh, you know, it mm, kind of hurt right there a little bit. But um, <laughs> we, um, like I said, y'all know that I teach dance lessons. She wanted to take some dance lessons. And um, after our dance lesson, you know, she, she asked me out. You know what I'm saying? So we've talked about, um, I mean, look, I was at work. Um, I, was, I think I just come back from a delivery or whatnot, and, um, you know, uh, we sent back some Bible verses back and forth and whatnot. And, you know, she sent me one, you know, hey, thank you so much uh, for that Bible verse. Uh, we like to go out for coffee or something. I'm like, <laughs> well, then, well, yeah, you know, we can do something, something. So, um, <laughs> I'm missing that because, um, you know, it's, uh, it, it's, I mean, I've, you know, got to the point where I was kind of putting myself back out there, been on eHarmony. Black people meet, farmers, Christian mingle, um, uh, Cupid, match, uh, <laughs> faith without works, okay, is dead, okay? So, I, I had faith, I'm trying to put in the work, okay, now, so, you know, <laughs> It says he that findeth, okay? We got to find that. That implies proactivity. You know, I'm, I'm doing something. <laughs> anyway, uh, I mentioned that because, um, you know, uh, like I said, y'all my family. Um, I ask for your prayers because uh, this, mm, she's amazing, okay? And, uh, I mean, I told her from the beginning, I mean, I, I only date for one reason because, um, I, you know, I think that that's – you know, begin with the end in mind, right? And that's what uh, Stephen Covey said. So, um, yeah, I ask for your prayers because, um, you know, I, uh, it's, it's been a Sam, uh, who, Sam Cook, Sam Cook. It's been a long time coming. Mm-hmm. Long time coming, you know. <laughs> but a change did come. So, um, 
Um, like I said, I ask for y'all prayers because, um, like I said, um, you know, God, God works in every area of our lives, including uh, romance and all that good stuff, right? So, um, like I said, it's been a wonderful journey, um, and it's going to continue to be wonderful. Um, but, yeah, y'all keep praying for us. You know, hey, y'all want to ask me a question, make sure I'm staying on the right path. Please, I don't mind because, yeah, I'm a family. I love y'all, and uh, that's my story. This is no shade to anybody else's resurrection story, but that's probably my favorite resurrection story that, that anyone has, has shared. And uh, so thank you for, for your heart and willingness to, to share with us on, on today. Uh, let's go uh, before our Lord in, in a prayer of supplication uh, before uh, and ask him to bless the, the word on today as well. Father, you are a God who is introduced yourself and revealed yourself to your people as a God who is gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. You keep steadfast love for thousands. You forgive iniquity, transgression, and sin. But you are a God who by no means will clear the guilty. Lord, you also said in, in Exodus 19 that All the world is mine. And so, Lord, since that is the reality of who you are, we put our hope and our trust and our our faith in you. Lord, we all in this moment collectively have a laundry list list of things that uh, we could ask you for. Lord, I want to pray for us in this moment uh, that we would be granted more of you, that we would be uh, granted uh, a, a an overwhelming feeling of your presence and your working, your, your resurrection life in our lives, that we would become more acquainted with who you are, uh, that we would trust and love and, and put our hope in you in, in in new and in fresh ways, Lord. So God, that is my prayer for us, that uh, you would take more of us. Uh, Spirit, uh, continue to help us to, to go to higher heights and, and deeper depths uh, through your word and through your spirit. Lord, as we as we turn our gaze outward, Lord, Lord we, we recognize the brokenness that, that sin has wrought on our on our world on our reality so lord we we pray that that you would keep us ever mindful that you are with us in the valley of the shadow of death you have not forsaken us you prayed that uh, we would that that we would not be taken out of the world but we would be protected from the evil one and that that you would be with us as we go through the trials and, and the difficulties of this world Lord, it seems like every other day we turn on the TV or log into uh, the various uh, uh, social media, we we see another tragedy. We see we 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 we've become acquainted to the to the brokenness of the world. It's everywhere we turn. 
Lord, help us to keep hope. Help us to trust. Help us to know that you are with us, that you have you've not left us, you have not forsaken us. God, each one of us as individuals, we, we bring our brokenness to, to the plate, but Lord, I, I pray that you, know, you would grant us faith, that you would grant us repentance in the dark, compartmentalized areas of our lives, that we would turn to you. Lord, I pray for the leaders of our, of, our, of, our, of our state, for the leaders of our, of our city, and for the, the leaders of this country, God. I pray that uh, by the, the, the power of, of your spirit that wise decisions would, would be made. I pray for the persecuted church that, that they would be able to endure and that the, the truth of the gospel would continue to spread and that our that our attention and that our love would be towards them and that we would think about them, that they would uh, be always on our minds because they are our brothers and sisters. So help us to always be mindful of the privilege that we have, but also that not everybody is as fortunate as we are to be able to gather on this Resurrection Sunday and it be legal. And so, Lord, I want to finish this prayer by rejoicing in the, in the fact that on this Resurrection Sunday, we're, we're beginning to see even the light at the, the end of the tunnel for the pandemic. Lord, I pray that the the vaccines would continue to be effective and that the numbers would go down and that we will be able to get back together again as, as family and, 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 and partake and, and rejoice with, with one another, that we'd be able to break bread with one another. Lord, would you do that for us, for your glory and for our good? I pray for the sermon on today that you would use Alex, uh, that you would give him conviction of heart and concision of speech, and that you may be glorified on today. It is in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that I do pray. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Happy Resurrection Sunday to you. He is risen. That's right. That'll preach. Maybe I should just preach on that one phrase. <laughs> well, as I said, good morning, saints and guests. Um, I hope each of you are feeling well today. and I'm grateful for your physical presence as well as your virtual presence. Thank you for, for being with us. None of you didn't have to show up today, but I'm glad that you did. Thanks for uh, being here. Our sermon text today is the passage that Amos read, uh, Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 through 50. The title is Something Greater is Here, Part 2. 
something greater is here, part two. And here's my main point for this sermon. Jesus is something that's greater, that's here, but yet many people still deny him because of their unbelief. Jesus is something greater that's here, but yet many people deny him because of their unbelief. People in Jesus' generation and people in our current generation. So please pray with and for me as I ask the Spirit once again to bless the preaching of God's Word. Holy Spirit, as I pray each week, I will continue to pray that you, you have to take the preached Word and apply it to the hearts of the people. My heart the heart of congregation, the heart of Christians, and the heart of non-Christians. Like, you have to do that. Preaching has no power apart from you. None at all. If you're not involved in this, I'm just a motivational speaker. If you're not involved. I'm just someone giving a talk if you're not moving. The preacher doesn't make preaching powerful. I don't care how much the preacher yells and screams and and dances and sings. That does not change hearts. That does not change lives. You do it. You have to do it. And so I beg and I plead and I cry out to you as the third person within the Godhead that, that you will move. In our hearts and minds today. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Jesus begins his earthly ministry in Matthew chapter 4 after John the Baptist is arrested. He, he begins his ministry preaching these words. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Is at hand because Jesus is here. Is at hand because Jesus begins his, his ministry of word and deed. The kingdom of heaven wasn't really here when John was on the scene. Is at hand because Jesus is doing his thing. He is doing the work of the Messiah. Works that includes healings and miracles. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor has good news preached to them. Something greater is now here, doing greater things, providing marvelous miracles and signs, but yet many people still deny him. They deny Jesus because of their unbelief. What about y'all? You're here. But how are you still denying Jesus today? Can you even name your unbelief? Or do you think Christians don't struggle with such things? It's only the unbeliever that denies Christ. Vapors are a large family of snakes found all around the world with a few exceptions. And generally, they're nocturnal. Many vipers, are, they hide themselves in their surroundings through camouflage. 
They blend in with bushes and rocks and ground coverings for protection and, and hunting. A professor of biological sciences at Utah State University who specializes in biology of snakes says, vipers are ambush predators. They detect, they detect where their prey will be chemically and then just wait for them. See, there's a group of religious leaders that Jesus describes as a family of vipers. It's a description that, that, that was first used by John the Baptist about this group. And who is this group? It's the Pharisees, right? They're, they're respected as the most moral and most godly religious leaders of the day. That's how the people saw them. Like, these are the holy ones. These are the super saints here. They're the super religious. They're on a whole other level than us. And yet Jesus calls them a family of vipers. Remember some of the characteristics of a viper. These Pharisees, they camouflage themselves. They only appear to be moral and most holy and most righteous. Externally, they look the part. Externally, they blend in with Jesus as being on God's side. But internally, their hearts are filled with venom. They are religious predators who oppose and attack and abuse Jesus at every turn of his ministry. And Jesus can do nothing right in their sight. I mean, if you read the Gospels, you know. They'd never come up to Jesus and say, good job, Jesus. That was a wonderful parable. Thank you for convicting me. Thank you for calling me a family of vipers. Thank you, Jesus. I, that's what I needed to hear today. No. They abused him. They attacked him. And Brother Amos preached on, on some of that last week in, in verses 1 through 32. The Pharisees accused Jesus of breaking the Sabbath. They even tried to entrap him. They, they even made plans to destroy him. They even accused Jesus of casting out a demon by a demon. That doesn't even make any sense. That's what, that, this, is, this is them. And these so-called most holy and most moral religious leaders, they're even blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. And so in verses 33 and, and, and 34a, Jesus tells them, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. The tree is known by its fruit. You family of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? How can you? And why does he call these respected religious leaders evil? The Pharisees are bad trees because their hearts are not right with God. That's why they only produce bad fruit. You see, the heart, your heart is the seat of your physical, emotional, and, and mental life. It is the center of your whole inner life. Proverbs 4, verse 23 says, keep your heart with careful observation, for from it flows the wellsprings of life. For from it flows the wellsprings of life. What your heart is full of will eventually leak, leak out of your mouth and leak out of your actions. Eventually it comes out. Jesus says, from out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. The evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. And even good treasure here represents the heart. 
A person's true character shines through at some point. As one poet says, when someone shows you who they are, believe them the first time. One's true character won't stay hidden in the shadows forever. You can fool people, but you can't fool God. He knows. One theologian and pastor said, Judas heard all of Christ's sermons. Think about that. He heard every last one of them, and yet he was evil. Think about that. Think about that. What's going on inside of your heart as you listen and read Jesus' sermons? What, what happens going on in your life as you come to church each week, go to Bible study each week, listen to spiritual podcasts each week? What's going on inside of you that's manifesting itself in your actions and your words? Good or evil? Good treasure, evil treasure. For the Pharisees, it's evil. It's evil treasure. And Jesus tells them one day they will give an account for every careless word and evil word they, they have spoken because these words flow out of the abundance of their evil hearts. Look at verses 36 and 37. Jesus says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Judgment here is going to be in accordance with the words people have spoken because their their words are a mirror to their heart. Now, please don't be confused about what Christ is saying here. People are saved by grace alone, apart from works. He's not preaching works just work salvation here. However, their works, including the words that they speak, of fruit that show whether a person is a child of God or not. And that's what James means when he says faith without works are dead. Your works show whether or not you're in the kingdom or not. Make the tree good and its fruit will be good. Make the tree bad and its fruit is bad. A tree is known by its fruit. And the same is true for Christians. The same is true for those who have saving faith in Christ. You will bear fruit that honors him. The same is true for each of you if Jesus is your Lord and Savior today. And if he's not your Lord and Savior today, then you can make a change right now. All you have to do is submit and surrender your heart and life to him. His arms are wide open. Come to him. Fall into his arms. His hands are extending out to you. Grab hold of those hands by faith. Something greater is reaching out to you in love and grace and mercy. Will you come to Christ today? Or will you continue in your unbelief, denial, rejection, and pretending like the Pharisees in this passage? Where are you? I don't care how long you've been a Christian. Where are you? Where are you? Who's your functional Savior? Not confessionally, because confessionally you're going to say Jesus. But functionally, in your marriage, in your parenting, in your jobs, in your day-to-day life, who is really your Savior? Jesus stands before these Pharisees with a character that's different from theirs. I hope you see that as Amos read through the passage. 
His character is opposite. It's greater. It's flawless. It's perfect. It's good. He is the good tree that only produces good fruit. He's the good person out of who out of out, out of his good treasure brings forth good all the time. Because Jesus is good all the time, and all the time he's what? Good. He's good. Jesus is something greater, and he's now here. He's greater than the Jewish temple. Amos mentioned that last week. He's greater than these Pharisees in all the ways that add to the law. And he's standing before them, trying to reason with them. Do you think he calls them out just for just to have fun with them? He wants them to repent. He's trying to correct them. He's, he's giving them an opportunity. But yet they continue to deny the one who's greater. They continue to resist him, to plot against him, to look for ways to destroy him. They continue in their unbelief and the rejection, even though these are supposed to be the most spiritual, the most wise, and the most godly people of the day externally, but their hearts show otherwise. They, their heart does not match who they are externally. In their hearts, they don't know God. Even though they pray, they go to the synagogue each week, they go to the temple, they observe all the Old Testament laws, yet their hearts are far from him. I hope you are paying attention to understand what this means. You can go through the motions of being a Christian and not be one. You can go through the motions of knowing God and don't know him at all. Put it this way. You can plant a church and Jesus not even be in it. You can, plant, you can grow a ministry and Jesus don't have anything to do with it. Where is your heart at the end of the day? From out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaks. Active listening means listening for understanding and not listening to respond. Active listening, it involves focusing on a speaker and showing, and showing verbal and nonverbal signs that you're actually listening to the person. Are you an active listener? What will your family say? Friends? co-workers, your kids, your siblings, teachers and coaches and bosses, what would they say? Would they say you are an active listener? And what about the Pharisees in Matthew 12? Are they actively listening to Jesus for understanding? No. They, they, they are passively listening to him. They're really not interested in Jesus' teaching and preaching at all. Please know that. They have attitudes of apathy and indifference. And because if you think you're better than Jesus, then you're not going to listen to anything he has to say. If you think you don't need Jesus, then no way you're going to submit to him. And that's the attitude you sense from these, these, bro- these, these, these leaders in this text. They offer no direct verbal response to Jesus' teaching in verses 33 to 37, even though the teaching is for them. He's given them an opportunity to repent. The words enter into one ear and out the other. And every parent knows how that feels when you're dealing with, dealing with kids and raising kids. His teaching bounces off of their unbelieving hearts, just like his teaching still does today. It bounces off of people's hearts because people are blinded by their unbelief. And some people are content and comfortable in their unbelief when it comes to Jesus. Are you one of them? Please know, one day you will bow. It's either going to be today 
but one day that knee will bow. You will acknowledge him. And as you live, he's given you opportunity to do it now. Because when it comes back, that's too late. That's too late. The opportunity is now. The blind religious leaders in Matthew 12, they do respond to Jesus. And, and their, their response is really a deflation. You see, they try to gaslight Jesus. Can you believe that? Gaslighting Jesus? Trying to manipulate Jesus? Come on, man. You see, immediately after Jesus finished talking, some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him. They say, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. They put it like this, teacher, dear teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. That's gaslighting one-on-one. That request isn't sincere. I mean, think about it, saints and guests. These are the same people who accuse him for breaking the Sabbath. These are the same people who try to bait him by asking, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? These are the same religious people who decide to conspire against Jesus and to destroy him. These are the same so-called godly people who said Jesus was casting out demons by a demon. And now Jesus is supposed to believe that their request is sincere and genuine? Jesus isn't gullible? And y'all shouldn't be gullible either. These words are not coming from a place of humility. And teachability. Okay? The, see, the, the request is polite, but it's also disrespectful. And here's the thing, saints. You can be polite to people and disrespect them at the same time. Southerners are really good at that. <laughs> bless your little heart doesn't really mean bless your little heart in the South. You can be nice to people and insult them at the same in the same breath. That's what's happening in Matthew 12. The religious leaders' request of Jesus is polite, but it's disrespectful at the same time. It's gaslighting one-on-one. Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. In the Gospel of Matthew, they say, we want a sign from heaven that tells us you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Show us that you are the Messiah by showing us a greater sign from heaven. Prove to us that you are the son of the living God. Prove to us that you are the way. Prove to us that you are something that is greater, even greater than us, even greater than our temple, even greater than our forefathers. Come on, Pharisees. You can do better. Stop acting like Jesus hasn't done any signs and miracles in your presence. He has. Each of them has, have, has witnessed Jesus do signs and miracles. They've witnessed him doing works of the Messiah. His very presence among them is a miracle and a sign. Because that's what the incarnation is. God became flesh. They just need to be honest with themselves. Just like some of us. Unbelief prevents them from accepting Jesus. It prevents them from accepting his ministry. Prevents them from accepting the signs and the miracles he has already done in their presence. In response to these leaders, their request, which is really a demand, our Lord gives them a great sign of the Messiah in verses 39 through 40. He answers them by saying, an evil and adulterous generation craves continually for a sign, yet no sign will be given to it but a sign of Jonah the prophet. You see, the problem isn't with Jesus' ministry. 
please know that. The problem is not with the gospel. The problem is with the heart of these religious leaders. And Jesus rebukes the hardened and stubborn heart. He calls them evil, which means they're really morally corrupt. He calls them adulterers. That means they are actually unfaithful to God. You see, they go through the motions of being moral, righteous, godly, and faithful. But it's for show. It's only external. They don't truly love God from the heart. They don't love him internally. And I'm sure Christ's words really tick them off because these brothers, these guys, they have a high sense of self-righteousness and godliness. They don't see their sin. They don't see their need for Jesus. And so they deny everything Christ stands for in this earthly ministry. Again, what about y'all? What about you? Kids, what about you? Adults, what about you? No sign or miracle will ever convince these leaders that Jesus is the Messiah. It won't. He, they, it won't. Nothing would ever convince them otherwise because they've already made their minds up about who he is. To them, Jesus is a lunatic. He's the one that's the heretic. He, because they don't believe he's telling the truth. The message Bible, in the message Bible, Jesus says, you're looking for proof, but you're looking for the wrong kind. All you want is something to stimulate your curiosity, satisfy your lust for miracles. The only proof you're going to get is what looks like the absence of proof, Jonah evidence. These words spoken by Christ to the Pharisees are still applicable to our generation. The greater proof, the greater evidence. And a greater sign that Jesus is the Messiah is what we're celebrating today. And that's why we gather for Easter, right? It's not for the Easter bunny and Easter eggs. It's because of the resurrection. That's the greater proof. Look at verse 40. Jesus says to them, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so would the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The resurrection. It's a greater proof, sign, and evidence that Jesus is the promised Messiah. And the resurrection is coming in the Gospel of Matthew. See, the proof is in the pudding. And the resurrection is the pudding. And the only way to taste it is through saving faith. If you're not a Christian, I don't really expect you to believe the resurrection is true. But it is true. And if you are a Christian, do you really believe these things? Do you really believe they're true? Do you really believe Jesus died and three days he actually rose again? Or is it just something that we go over in Sunday school? Do you really believe it? Because if the resurrection isn't true, we are all fools. I spent four years in seminary for nothing. If, 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 if um, this isn't true. I got ordained in the PCA for nothing. If none of this is true. And you're sitting here, you are fools sitting here listening to me if none of this is true. Pity us above all people if the resurrection is not true. So it's either, it can't be in between. This stuff is either true or it's a lie. This is black and white here. I don't always like dealing in black and white, but some things are black and white. The resurrection is tr either true or it is not. Jesus is either the Messiah or he's not. 
can't be both ways. Jesus will be crucified on a Friday for the sins of the world, your sins, past, present, and future. And on a Sunday, he will be resurrected, victorious over sin and death. We believe that as Christians. Romans 4, 25 tells us that Jesus was delivered up on the cross for our trespasses, and he was raised for our justification. That's wonderful that it's true, because if he didn't, we're still lost. He, he, the, 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 we, we got a whole bunch of songs about the cross, but without the resurrection, man, all those hymns mean nothing. If he's still in the grave, the cross means absolutely nothing. It wasn't enough for him to die for our sins. He had to defeat it. In his resurrection, he defeats sin and death. So that when we die, it's actually a victory. Like I've been saying, something greater is here. Something greater sacrifices his life for your sins. Something greater dies for enemies so enemies can be redeemed into sons and daughters. Because remember, Christ doesn't hang on the cross for friends. He dies for enemies. We become his friend when when we receive him in faith. Thank you, Jesus. Because none of us would die for enemies. But our Savior does. That's why the gospel is so amazing. We forget that when we've been a Christian for a long time. Because when you're a Christian for a long time, you think you always love Jesus. I've always loved him. No, you didn't. <laughs> At one time, you hated him. If I, if, if I was back then, I wouldn't have said crucify him. Come on. Yes, you would have. You've been having popcorn. Yeah, crucify him. You're looking back in as a redeemed person. How easily forget we forget what we were redeemed from. When you forget what God redeemed you from, that's when you go off into self-righteousness, thinking you're better than other people, thinking some, certain people don't deserve to get into the kingdom because those people are really evil. Christ died for very evil people. Just because your evilness looks different than others doesn't make you more deserving of heaven than them. Because if God gave what we deserve, if we if God starts dealing with us on that level, man, we in trouble. The gospel is us not getting what we deserve. That is the heart of the gospel. And it's available to anybody. It's offered to the world. He's greater. And he makes his greatness clear to the Pharisees once again. You see, his sign in preaching is greater than Jonah, and his wisdom is greater than Solomon. Again, Jesus is giving these guys truth, opportunities to accept him. And they it, it shows you just how it shows you that without a regenerate heart, people cannot come to faith. This is what this shows you. Like, Jesus was with these folks. They witnessed him doing these things, and they still wouldn't come. That's, that's how much sin, that's, that, that's the power of sin in our lives. The spirit, the spirit, and that's why, and honestly, that's why I believe that, that, that 
that no one can come to salvation if the spirit doesn't move. So sin has a hold on us. And you cannot outwork sin. You cannot regenerate your own heart. Because if God didn't move towards you, you would still be lost. Again, we look back into this. We look back in our salvation story as redeemed people. And then we want to read back into it. The only reason you accepted Christ, because he moved first. And if he didn't move first, you would still be lost. So our prayer for unbelieving people is that the spirit would move towards them. Grab hold of the unregenerate heart and change it. Pray that for your kids. Pray that for your family who don't know Christ. God does that work. And we participate in it through our prayers and our evangelism. But he's doing it. And we get to share in that part of his redemptive story and bringing people into the faith. In verses 41 and 42, Christ says, The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Again, Jesus wants them to repent. And they won't. And they won't. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the far ends of the earth, and she did, to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, Something greater than Solomon is here. Someone wiser than Solomon is here. Standing before you, face to face. Emmanuel. And yet you won't receive my wisdom. Something greater lives among them, people. Ministering to them. Preaching the good news of the kingdom to them. Performing signs and miracles. Doing the work of the Messiah. But yet they continue in unbelief. They continue to be neutral. They continue to go through their emotions. They they simply some are simply pretending to be someone they're not. And listen, you cannot be on the fence with Christ. You cannot have one foot in and one foot out. In Matthew 12, verse 30, he says, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. Are y'all with him or against him? Are you gathering with Jesus? Or are you scattering away from him? Where are you today? People tuning in on in, in Facebook land, where are you today? Where are you? He's given you opportunity. He's given you opportunity to come clean, to find rest, to find peace to find hope, to find acceptance, to find forgiveness, to find purpose, to find answers. He's giving it to you, and you only find it through Jesus. He's the solid rock. All other grounds are sinking sand. Kids, teens, preteens, wherever you are, Jesus is the solid rock. All other grounds are sinking sand. But do you believe it? The gospel ain't just for the adults. It's for y'all too. He died for you too. And he wants you to come to him in faith. In verses 43 through 45, our Savior, he, he shares a story 
that really seems to be disconnected with the with the rest of the context of our passage. It appears our, our Lord goes on a wild goose, goose chase by talking about demons and, and demon possession to the eighth power. But what are you talking about here, Jesus? His goal is not to provide a teaching on the study of demons. That's not his goal in these three verses. That's not the point. These verses are, are about his generation of people who heard the teaching of John the Baptist and his teaching. Jesus is explaining what happens to people who come to God half-heartedly. He's giving play-by-play details about what happens to people who come to him pretending, who, who comes to him wanting to be neutral, who comes to him wanting to have the cake and eat it too. He shares what happens to people who make some positive changes in their life externally, but who still remain spiritually empty, who remain spiritually lost in a state of sin and misery, who, whose hearts remain unregenerate by the Spirit. In these three verses, Jesus says, when the unclean spirit goes out from a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits, more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of the person is worse than it was the first time. So also will it be with this evil generation. Jesus warns them about the dangers of being partial. Many of these people have made public professions of faith under the preaching of John the Baptist. Many of them were baptized. Many of them publicly repented of their sins. Many of them put forth efforts to to bring spiritual order to their life. Does that sound familiar? Externally, they look like believers. Externally, no, they look like they love God. They go to church. They go to Bible studies. They go to prayer service. They appear to know God, but they don't. And here's the issue, saints. Their business with God was superficial. Okay? Their repentance was superficial. It, does, it did not change their lives. God isn't living inside their hearts. Jesus illustrates this superficial spirituality by telling this story about a demon, a demon who departs from a person who has experienced some level of spiritual awakening. I call this the Christian camp awakening because you all know if you've been to Christian camp, everybody leaves their saved. Go to a Christian, you go to, a, I went to tons of Christmas conferences at, in a campus ministry. And at that conference, you want a spiritual high. Some spiritual awakening. And so this person has experienced something like that. And Jesus said the spirit leaves the person and goes through wasteless, waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. And then the demon makes a decision. It decides to return, again, to its house within the person who experienced some level of spiritual awakening. When the demon makes it back, it knows there's something. Something's different. I can't put my finger on it, but this house looks kind of different. He enters the house, and to his surprise, the house is swept clean, put in order. Some good external changes has happened in the person's life. Some moral reform has happened. But there's one problem. 
the demon also notices the house is empty. What do you think that means? The person's heart is still empty. The person is spiritually void. So the demon leaves and brings back seven of his friends, his homeboys. And he, they enter and enter this person, and the person is worse off than the person was before. So it would be also with this present generation. One Anglican bishop says, there are men who seem at one time of their lives to be under the influence of strong religious feelings. They reform their ways. They lay aside many things that are bad. They take up many things that are good. But they stop there. They go no further. And by and by, they give up religion altogether. None proves, none proves so hopeless, hopelessly wicked as those who, after experiencing strong religious conviction, have gone back again to the sins in the world. When you're pretending, eventually your true character shows. Eventually you go back to who you are because you really haven't changed. But something greater is now here offering you this clear warning about making a false profession of faith, about pretending to be a Christian externally, but externally you're still lost and separated from God. Your heart is empty, but it doesn't have to remain empty. Jesus is the only one who can fill the empty space in your heart where you come. And again, if you are a Christian, he's still the only one that can fill the space in your heart. Your idols cannot. And you all got idols that you try to stuff into your heart. That heart was created for Jesus, and it will remain restless until it rests in him. Period. Period. I don't care how successful you are. I don't care how many degrees you have, how many titles in front of your name, how great your marriage is, how awesome your kids are. Those things are not your savior. Money is not your savior. Reputation is not your savior. Man's praise is not your savior. Politics is not your savior. Jesus is. Period. And you cannot know Jesus in faith because you have a relationship with people who do. Kids. You have to know him for yourself. You have to know Jesus for yourself. And knowing him is more than having Bible knowledge of him. Because you can read this and get, a, and get a lot of cognitive knowledge of who Jesus is. But it just stays there. You have to have saving faith. And this is one of the points of verses 45 through 50. Look with me. It says, while he was speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hands towards his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. What is the will of the father that he's talking about? I believe if you go over to John chapter 6, verses 39 and 40, you, get, you, you see what the will of the father is. And this is what Christ says. 
This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up in the last day. For this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. That is the will. Because you can't be Jesus' father, mother, and sister without faith, without trusting in him. Again, something greater is here. Something greater has made a way for you to be at peace with God and peace with yourself. Something greater is here offering you true hope. And something greater is here offering you eternal life. Something greater is here promising you that someday you too will have a resurrection Sunday. And the only way you get that resurrection Sunday is through faith. Lord Jesus, you are something that is greater and that is here. And you have given us plenty of evidence that you are the Messiah. Now, none of us have, none of us lived during the time you raised, that you rose from the dead, but your word clearly explains it. My prayer for those of us who are Christians, that we will rejoice and, and, and rest today, knowing that all of our sins, past, present, and future, has been nailed to the cross. And because you rose again, we will no longer have to stand condemned and ashamed by the sins we currently struggle with. You defeated it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for that kindness. Even now, the word says you still intercede for us. Thank you. You're still doing it. You just keep getting better and better. Holy Spirit, our counselor, the deposit that guarantees our inheritance, will you encourage our hearts today, this week? I pray for those who are here, those who are watching. If they don't know Jesus, if they are lost, I pray that a seed has been planted or a seed has been watered and that hopefully though that seed will blossom into repentance and and, and a change of regenerate heart where that person will come to Jesus and receive peace and forgiveness of all they've ever done. Will you do that spirit for our good but for the glory of Christ. It's in his wonderful name that I pray. Amen. Saints, will you please stand for the benediction? Again, thank you for being with us. Thank you for joining us on this Resurrection Sunday. Please greet one another with an elbow bump before you leave. And everyone that's tuning in online, thank you for being with us. Uh, Hopefully you'll join us again next week uh, at 1030 here at the Village Church. Now here's God's benediction to his beloved. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. And all God's people said,
Amen.